Welcome into the Crossing Broadcast on a beautiful Monday morning, President's Day. Welcome, if you're joining here on the Crossing Broad YouTube channel, Facebook, and Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, thank you so very much for finding the show this morning. If you're listening back in the podcast feed long from now, thank you as well. You might be listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Pandora or Google Podcasts, which I think is soon to become YouTube Music, but thank you for finding the show. This is going to be one heck of a show. Now, it's a weird weekend, right? We talked about this last week, last Monday, that the Monday show is me, it's you, and we're reacting to whatever happened over the weekend. And admittedly, there wasn't a ton in terms of Philly sports action, but there were Philly sports-related stories. Tyrese Maxey was an all-star. We're going to get into that and his performance in last night's game. Does Doc Rivers uh, hold a grudge, perhaps? Man didn't play nearly as much as he should have. We've got to talk about this big scandal, the outcry about what's happening with Fanatics and the Major League Baseball jerseys that continue to look worse and worse. We're going to get to a little bit about the Phillies later on. I will encourage you, if you're listening now, if you haven't already subscribed in the last few years, crossed up, dropped their first episode of the season, and go over and listen to Bob and Ant talk about Whit Merrifield and whether or not the Phillies are actually good enough to compete for a World Series this year. So we've got that. But that's not all. I, just when I thought that we weren't going to have an Eagles topic to discuss today, which is totally fine by me, just when I thought it was going to happen, what happens? Well, a clip starts going viral. Chris Sims decided to clown himself again and go after Jalen Hurts. So we're going to get into that as well. And let me tell you, it's going to be something. So anyway, a big thank you to everybody who tuned in. Let's get to it. Let's start with a little bit of positivity here on a beautiful Monday. Let's get to Tyrese Maxey. Let's talk about Tyrese Maxey from All-Star Weekend. There were a lot of really interesting, nice, fun things that came up this weekend. Now, Tyrese Maxey had a 10-point performance in the All-Star game, but it's his first, first All-Star game. He's one of a few guys, especially in the Eastern Conference, where it was their first All-Star game, and he showed out. Now, did he play as much as we maybe wanted him to? No, I don't think so, but that's okay. There were some interesting things that came out, by the way. Doc Rivers, I don't know if you saw this, but Doc Rivers was quoted as saying that the job with the Bucks is harder than he thought it was going to be, and that coming into the season when he did is harder than he expected. Thanks for that, Doc. That's great. He once again walks into a loaded team and is already making excuses for what will certainly be a dog shit season for the Milwaukee Bucks. But, Craig, I know that you, you had a couple of these things queued up and that we're ready to go to them. Um, I want to start off with a little bit of positivity here. I want to start with Tyrese Maxey walking into the arena last night uh, ahead of his first ever All-Star game. And when you think about a guy going in, are there going to be nerves? Is he going to be in his own head about showing out? Let's get that pulled up there, Craigles, with, uh, with the audio and see if we can. Right? Yeah. Hey, now. I'm an All-Star. Ah, it's me. I'm an All-Star. Finish the lyric. Hey, now. So, Tyrese Maxey, very, very excited about his first All-Star appearance. The guy is as excited as you should expect him to be. Now, Tyrese Maxey is this guy who I keep coming back to, has the most infectious energy of any Philadelphia athlete in the city. And now, if you think that there's somebody else who exudes more positivity, by all means, drop it in the comments section here on YouTube 
You can tweet at me. You can drop it on Facebook. But when I see Tyrese Maxey, I am filled with my last name. I am filled with joy for what I'm experiencing through him. I'm not living vicariously through him as an athlete, but Tyrese Maxey to me is the most positive guy that this city has in terms of an athlete. So that was one thing. Very excited about that. Uh, There was another thing that happened at the All-Star Game. And, Craig, I want you to pull up the thing about the AI before we move on to uh, another thing today. But the NBA is screwing around. You might have seen the court But, Craig, click on the video because the video is the thing that's, like, the most offensive thing that I think that came out of All-Star Weekend. NBAI, show me the Pacers game as if it were a Spider-Man movie. Generates, generates in real time. This is bad. I still don't know who this is for. All right, that's enough of that. So if you're listening in the podcast feed after the fact, and you're like, hey, that was a lot of dead space, and I like heard a little bit of audio, and I don't know what, what that was or if it was important. The answer is no, it wasn't important. The NBA is trying desperately to bring back some kind of excitement around the league as the TV numbers continue to, to dip on cable. Um, they went with the glass court for some of the skills competitions, which didn't go over, I think, as well as they had expected it to, where you can fully animate the floor. Um, It was just weird. It was a weird weekend, but they're trying to use artificial intelligence now. They're trying to do this AI thing where, like, you can ask for it to remask the the game that you're seeing in a different art style. Like, that's supposed to connect. I don't know if they're thinking that, like, hey, this is kind of like how the Super Bowl had the Nickelodeon edition and they had SpongeBob and Patrick sitting in the box and like maybe that's what they were going for. But like that didn't look good. And the, the tweet that Craig pulled up was actually uh, a quote by one of the people who was part of the Into the Spider-Verse movies. who was like, we weren't consulted on this. Like this, this isn't us. Uh, there's, there's the quote there. This janky-ass AI looks nothing like the handcrafted, innovative artistry of the films. As far as I know... They never reached out for us about scraping the film's style. So uh, he didn't hold back, and I don't blame him. The Spider-Verse movies are very good. But, like, trying to use that if you're Adam Silver, that's just, that's no bueno. doesn't work. All right. I want to get to something, uh, and and this is one other thing that I I think out of the All-Star Weekend, and I'd love to know what people thought because the All-Star Weekend used to have some kind of chutzpah to it. It used to have some kind of juice to it. And... Again, like they they went with this idea of the LED court, the glass court, because they're trying to make something out of nothing. They're trying to bring some kind of excitement back. And if you think that the cable ratings don't matter or that the dip in ratings don't matter to the league, you're not paying attention to the way the TV is going and you're not paying attention to the way that the TV rights deals are going to go. Like right now, the NBA is in the midst of trying to court whatever the next round of bidders are going to be for the upcoming TV rights. They're, you know, Warner Brothers Discovery is obviously involved in it. Disney is going to remain involved in it, right, because of the connection with ESPN. Although we still don't know if ABC um, and Disney and ESPN are all going to be on the same platform. Like, we don't actually know if the Disney parent company is eventually going to sell off ESPN, as they had been rumored to look at it. Uh, Could Paramount get involved? Is Paramount going to merge with Warner Brothers Discovery? It's going to be... 
a really tough time, I think, for TV rights. And they need to show some kind of bump ahead of the next round of negotiations or they're not going to get what they think that they you know, deserve or, or they have the right to. Now, the, the big question I have is how long are you willing to run with gimmicks if you're the league? The glass court is conceptually very cool. But does it really add value if you are a TV watcher? No. Does it add value if you're in the arena? Like, does having a graphic pop up every time Tyrese Maxey makes a layup, does that excite you if you're in Wells Fargo Center? Like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so. Uh, Craig's pulling it up here. Like, it looks neat. And I guess the idea is, hey, when it's on TV, we have the ability to show this to the TV viewer. But if you're in the arena, it's just a hardwood floor. But if we do this in person, then you feel like you're not missing out. The argument of like, hey, this is more enjoyable to watch on TV than in person. Like it goes away if it's this glass LED court. This doesn't do it for me. And I'm as much of a tech fan as it gets. But this doesn't do it for me. There's nothing about this that's so unique or standout that I say, like, I actively want to go spend money at an NBA game to watch this. And maybe I'm wrong. Let me know in the comments if I'm wrong. But like Nico says here, Adam Silver's tanking the league's value. You know, it's Ford actually has a very good point here. Everyone's friends, no real competition, watered down league. There was a clip going around this morning. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter. Um, but it was from the 2001 All-Star game. And it was just jarring. Jarring, I think, is the best way to put it. To see the way that the All-Stars back in 2001 took the All-Star game versus what we saw last night and what we have seen probably for at least the last decade, which is, yeah, everybody's buddies. There's no real effort, and we're seeing this across all of the sports. Like, in fairness, there's not a single All-Star game or All-Star adjacent game where I think anybody feels like they're fully embodying what it is to be a pro athlete in that league. So let's be clear. I'm not just shitting on the NBA to do it. Like, the NFL's Pro Bowl has become flag football. But, like, this is the thing. Like this tweet today, Vince Carter dropping the windmill. I think that might have also been the game where he threw it off the backboard to himself for the first time in an all-star game. But like that game was something. And when it got to the very end, which you'll see in a minute, it's Kobe Bryant going into closeout time. And when that game ends and the Eastern Conference wins, you've got Allen Iverson ready to jump into the crowd. Like, those guys were excited that they won, and there, there was no incentive. It wasn't like when Major League Baseball said, hey, whoever wins the All-Star game gets home field during the World Series. Like, that's not what it was. But you could see the difference in the competitiveness in that 0-1 All-Star game versus what we saw last night. Like, I was making the joke. I had to write a bunch of this stuff yesterday, right, for the day job uh, and, and our, our commercial content team. We're all writing about the NBA All-Star game, and it's like the, the over-under, I think, was set at 365 and a half. It's insane. Like, it just shows you. The odds makers know it's a joke. You as a fan know it's a joke. Now, I enjoy basketball. I can sit back. I can watch that game last night. I can kind of remove the competitive part of my brain. And I can say, all right, like, because I like basketball and because I feel like some of the plays that you see in the game are fun, then fine. But, like, it's not, it's not what it used to be. And I feel like an old-ass man saying it. Not quite as old as Anthony Sanfilippo, who just turned 50, but I feel old. I feel old complaining about it. But I miss the times when those games actually mattered. I don't think it's going to turn around. I think the only way to do it is a financial incentive, the same way that they had to financially incentivize the in-season tournament. Like, maybe that's going to be it. 
maybe that'll be the thing that fundamentally changes the uh, the way that that game plays out. But uh, none of these games at this point are are worthwhile. Uh, I want to move on now that we're done with the All Star game. Let's talk about the thing that really has some people incensed. That's jerseys. No. Yes. Yes. Let's talk about the jerseys first, Craig. And I think we have a couple of these things pulled up. If you've ever looked to buy a baseball jersey, you probably have a good idea of what that has traditionally looked like. But Fanatics got the exclusive rights, and now the jerseys are horrific. They're an abomination, and they're, they're offensive. So what you can see here is what last year's baseball jerseys looked like, and now this year's. They've gone with this really weird, everything has to be arced on the nameplate, and, like, you took it from, like, let's say a 35 font down to, like, a 22. All the letters are smaller. It's harder to read. And, again, everything is arced. And I saw, of course, like, baseball traditionalists are freaking out. But then people like me who just appreciate a good jersey are like, this sucks. This one, I think, is the biggest abomination. So you've got Verlander. Uh now, listen, Justin Verlander, Verlander's like a, a, a relatively long last name, right? But like, if memory serves me correct, his name typically does fit, if not perfectly straight, with a little bit of arc. But this came out from spring training, and it is a disaster. Like, I guess make the numbers smaller. Like, I don't know how you fix it, but like, can you imagine Salta Lamakia? Do you remember Salta Lamakia? They had to, they really did have to do it. It was kind of like a rainbow arch. It was a full-on arch. But his last name was Saltalamakia. Verlander's not that big of a name. And, they, and, and it's taking up all that space on the back. Now, listen, I wouldn't buy a baseball jersey. If it's me, I'm not buying this. There's no chance. I did see, I think it was Gaijin Baseball was the account on Twitter. And they took a bunch of Japanese jerseys. And it was like one that was purchased near the stadium, one that was uh, Majestic, which is also owned by Fanatics, and then one that was um, uh, Nike. And it just showed the difference in the craftsmanship and the way that, like, the numbers were stitched on and these aren't. Um, this is bad. Like, even here, if you're, if you're thinking about getting a Zach Wheeler jersey, well, you're almost incentivized to go and try to find a Zach Wheeler jersey from last year where the numbers are stitched on correctly and you can actually read his name. Craig, I don't know if you could pull up that second image of, like, what it looked like on him in spring training uh, while doing a, a bullpen session. Uh, and this, I believe, is from Destiny Lagardo. Like, look at... How small? Like, look, I don't expect that if you're sitting 15 rows up on the first base side that you're going to be able to read that or you're going to care about being able to read Wheeler. But this is weird. And it only got worse over the weekend. The more people started kind of tuning back into Major League Baseball and getting excited for spring training. And you're starting to see more and more and more people complaining as they're getting their orders. I just need to know when the hell this is going to change. Are they going to change it? I have no idea. All right, Craig, let's go to the thing that incensed me and probably incensed a lot of other people. And if you haven't seen it yet, it almost certainly will incense you by the time you see this. And that's Chris Sims, because Chris Sims, of course, had to be Chris Sims and do Chris Sims things and piss people off because it's what he's good at. Chris Sims took another shot at Jalen Hurts. Uh, Craigles, let's see if we can go full screen uh -uh. To the right, 
Go full screen. You, you pit him against a, a guy that's high up your rankings that you would take Kyler over. Is there like anybody like oh. a Jalen Hurts or anybody that you would say, I got to think real hard well, about that'd this? Well, that would be one of them for really? sure. Yeah, I don't think like, you know, you heard me talk yeah. yesterday. Yeah. You know, Jalen Hurts is re- – I respect a lot about Jalen Hurts, but I, I think Jalen Hurts is also like the most overrated player in football. All right? I just oh. that's, that's me. I know I'm wrong. I take a lot of crap about that get comment. But, you know, it's a it's – a, he plays quarterback for a team that's an all-star team. Yeah. They have the mm-hmm. best O-line in football. It's not even close, right? They got maybe the best duos at receiver in all of football, right? I just think if you put some quarterback, other quarterbacks in Philly, you put Kyler Murray there, you'd go, damn, Kyler's amazing. <laughs> Is he the MVP of football? And I think we lose sight of all of that a little yeah. bit. Again, it yeah. gets into the quarterback team thing where right now we're all about the quarterback. And, uh, yeah, he'd be one of those guys that I certainly would go, hey, when Kyler's on his game, he is every bit in the class of Jalen Hurts, in my opinion. You know, you talked a lot about me. I'm losing my mind. Like, I feel like I might be just losing it. Like, maybe it's me. I feel like I'm bitter. I wasn't bitter this morning when I woke up. I wasn't bitter when we went live. But, like, I spent the beginning of this saying the NBA All-Star game isn't what it used to be. Complaining about Major League Baseball jerseys. And now I have to deal with Chris Sims. What the hell is going on in Chris Sims' head? Like, this is, I saw somebody say on Twitter, this is his white whale. Like, he's just going to continue to go back, and he's going to keep shitting on Jalen Hurts until he's either proven right or he can act like he never did. But calling Jalen Hurts the most overrated player in football, in the league, is batshit bananas insane. You want to call him an overrated quarterback and then use your pedigree and I use that with quotes, as a former NFL quarterback, fine, I guess you can do that. But to say the most overrated player in the league is absolutely nuts. I mean, we could stack up, and it would be fun, we could stack up Chris Sims' all-time stats as a glorified backup, as a piss-poor player in the NFL, and we can line those up against Jalen Hurts, and everybody's going to take Jalen Hurts. Now, what is the crux of the argument? Go back over what he said. He said that the Eagles have the best offensive line in football. There's a, there's a very strong case to be made for it. Now, I don't know if it will be the strongest offensive line in the league if Jason Kelsey does opt to retire, which we still don't know. And I believe, as of last week, he said that he would have an announcement within the next couple of weeks. So that's just going to kind of float out there in the ether. But okay, so let, let me just... let me All right, so the offensive line is the best. So as long as... Jason Kelsey comes back, you don't have any major injuries, and Lane Johnson doesn't get suspended for roids, which is fair. It's not not taking a shot, but it's kind of no. It's twice now. Um, Then you're okay. Then offensive line, you're good, and you you can be happy. All right, let's go to the receivers. The receivers are the next complaint, that he has arguably the best wideouts or the best wideout duo. All right, very, very strong case to be made that if the Eagles don't have the top pair of wide receivers, if you want to put Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill above A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, there are some people who would argue it. I don't know if I would. I think that they probably are the best duo. But does Chris Sims then turn around and say that Tua is the second most overrated quarterback in the league? Is he the third most overrated? Where does Tua fall? You know, remember a few years ago, Sims put out his list preseason of the top 40 quarterbacks in the league. I think it was top 40. And Jalen Hurts wasn't even on there. There are a bunch of, like, glorified 
backups that made the top 40 list, but not Jalen Hurts. I, I have questions. Did Jalen Hurts steal a girlfriend of Chris Sims at some point? Did Jalen Hurts besmirch the quote-unquote good name of Chris Sims at some point on a podcast? Did we miss something? Because it seems personal, and it seems wildly off-base to say that he's the most overrated quarterback now, or sorry, most overrated player in the game. Now, my assumption here is that part of why Chris Sims is so worked up and why Chris Sims is so... I don't know, emboldened to go after Hurts now is because of the season that the Eagles just had and because of the season that Jalen Hurts just had. That it's easier to pile on Jalen Hurts after the Eagles had a disappointing end of the season, a disappointing uh, playoff loss to a not-great Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. It's easier to go after him now than it was last year when he was the favorite for the MVP award for most of the season and then finishes the runner-up. Owen, oh, by the way, took the Eagles to a Super Bowl. And yes, while he fumbled and that was taken back for a score, he had arguably the best performance in a Super Bowl that an Eagles quarterback has ever had outside of Nick Foles. Um, I guess it's easier to pile on now. Now, I did see, where was that? Uh, Philly fan, I think, was the one who was, uh, or maybe it wasn't Philly fan. Where was it at? There was, uh, here we go, Nat Marlowe. It's easy to not get enraged by him when you ignore him. I agree. But we still have to have a moment. We still have to have a moment to talk about the bullshit that Chris Sims is peddling. The guy has a national platform. It's a problem. It continues to be a problem. I don't fully understand what the hell he's doing. I don't understand how with the platform he has had, because you have to remember he had that he had a show on Bleacher Report, right? Back with, with my old co-host, Adam Lefko. They had a show. They built up a really nice following. And then I don't know what happened there. I never talked to Lefko about it. But it felt like Sims kind of big-timed to go off and do the NBC show to do the Football Night in America stuff where he was doing in-studio work. And then Lefko went and turned around and ended up becoming the uh, NBA on Tuesdays, I think, right? Lead host um, on TNT. So I would say that it worked out well for him. But Chris Sims, I just don't get it. And I don't see Chris Sims say this stuff about, did he say it about Dak Prescott? Like, is it fair to question whether or not Dak Prescott is an overrated player? Like, does Chris Sims feel that? Or does, does he make Chris Sims' top 10? Craig, can you look and see if you can find Chris Sims' uh, quarterback rankings ahead of the 2023 season? Because I just want to have a little bit of context here on, like, what qualifies as an overrated quarterback to Chris Sims. Because to me, like, I would argue that Dak Prescott was wildly overrated given what he has. He had a solid offensive line. And, yeah, like, Zeke moved on. But Tony Pollard, I think, is a better running back. And we can have this debate. I think Tony Pollard is probably a better overall back than, well, certainly Miles Sanders. And I think we could probably make the case about um, DeAndre Swift. All right, let's go. Let's see. What, what is uh, – all right, Chris Sims. Here is his ranking. This is from last year. All right, so – He puts Patrick Mahomes in a category of his own. Joe Burrow, number two. Josh Allen, number three. Justin Herbert, who's never won a damn thing, number four. Lamar Jackson, who's just coming off now another MVP season, likely. All right, so he was number four going into the season, or number five going into the season. Trevor Lawrence, who hasn't won shit. He had Jalen Hurts at number seven going into this season. Really? All right, so if that's the case... Was Chris, was Chris Sims's analysis going into 2023 
did he overrate Jalen Hurts? Is this why he's so upset? Because he finally put him in the list and put him in at number seven. Aaron Rodgers, number eight. Deshaun Watson. Oh, I love that. Deshaun Watson at number nine. What the hell has Deshaun Watson done? Well, actually, let's not get into that because there's a lot of alleged least. Matthew Stafford had a good season. Daniel Jones at number 11 is preposterous. Kirk Cousins at 12 is a joke. Dak Prescott at 13. That's interesting. There's like a small part of me that, that I think has like a morbid curiosity of what this is going to look like going into the, to this year. It's also interesting that he put Kyler Murray at 19 on that list, especially given he was talking to a Cardinals podcast at the Super Bowl and said that he thought that Kyler Murray could be just as good as Jalen Hurts. So like, which is it? Is, is it Jalen Hurts is vastly overrated? Hence, he put Hurts as number seven on this list preseason. Is Kyler Murray good as being preseason number seven? Is Kyler Murray as good as being the most overrated quarterback or player in the NFL? Like, I need, I need that part explained. Like, how, how do you in one breath say Jalen Hurts is the most overrated player in football and then say, I think Kyler Murray can be just as good as the most overrated player in football? Does that work? Is that cognitive dissonance? Does that make sense to anybody else? Am I losing my mind? Is it just me? Am I the only person who can't make sense of it? Because that, that doesn't line up. All right, let's just play this game. Craig, bring that list back up. I want to know from people in the comments where Jalen Hurts should be on this list. So if Jalen Hurts was number seven on his list going into the season, I think it's probably safe to say that Sims will have him outside of the top 15 going into next year. He will probably move, well, Tua has to be moved up. Tua is certainly better than 21. Will he move Tua into the top 10? And again, same problem, right? Great, great receivers on the outside. The line is not nearly as good as what Philly has. So I'd have to say that given what he was able to make of that and still getting the ball into the hands of Waddle and Tua, that like he's got to be somewhere in the top 12. Garoppolo is going to fall. Justin Fields, Baker. I think he'll probably put Baker Mayfield up higher. Brock Purdy was 26 on his preseason list. I have to imagine that Brock Purdy, because Chris Sims probably likes him so much, he'll probably put Purdy in the top seven, which I don't think he'll put Hurts. So he'll put Purdy ahead of Hurts. Where's C.J. Stroud on that list? 37 going into the season. Well, C.J. Stroud is very good, and C.J. Stroud did make the best of a very bad situation in Houston. I would put C.J. Stroud probably in the top 10. If we're talking about how a guy maximized what he was given and what he had around him, I would say that C.J. Stroud, just by that metric, is probably a top 10 guy in the league. I don't know where he's going to put Hurts. I have a funny feeling he's going to put Jalen down at like 22. Like he can't possibly take him out of the top 30, but there's no chance he's going to have him in the top five. And I don't think he'll have him in the top 10. I'm, let's, let's write that down, Craggles. 22. 22 is where Jalen Hurts will be. About two months from now or three months from now when, when uh, Sims puts this list out. Absolutely disgusting. Where is Jordan Love? Was Jordan Love on there? I don't see Jordan Love. Am I blind? Am I unable to see? Craig's now leaning in. He's going to hit his, his head on the camera. All right, so Jordan Love's going to have to move in there. I assume Jordan Love will be... Oh, there we, oh 31. Okay. Jordan Love's got to move up. It is interesting. Dak, I think you can make a case that Dak Prescott falls out of the top 20. Given the talent that he has and the talent he has around him, I don't know how another 
shitty performance in the postseason gets you back in there. All right, Philly fan throws this out. Sims will go Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, Lamar, Herbert, Lawrence, Stroud, Tua, Dak, Purdy, Goff, Love, Hurts. Now I think there, I think he'll put somebody else ahead of him. I'm trying to play this one out really quick. Uh, he'll probably put Kyler Murray above Jalen. I don't think he'll put Carr above him. He might put Goff. Uh, you, you have that. You have Goff there. Uh, all right, so maybe it won't be quite as bad as I thought it was. Nah, I'm gonna still stick with it. 22. He'll put Hurts at 22. Let's come back. Um, all right. There was something very interesting that happened, by the way. Um, we got a call. We got a call. We got a message over on the line. Craig, drop that number here on the screen for the people who are interested in such things. The number is 215-839-8477. We got a message over the weekend, and I said, drop me a line with the number one story in your mind coming into today's show. What was the number one thing in Philly sports? What was the number one thing that happened this weekend that you wanted to talk about? We did. We got a call. It was a great call. Perhaps. We'll have to see if it was great. Let's play this one out. White Marcus Hayes, Ford. What's up, man? Uh, Here is my message for you. Keep doing what you're doing, okay? Lose the stash, though. The stash is an issue, all right? And then I want to ask you a question. Do you think Joel Embiid will come back this season? And if he does, do you believe that the Philadelphia 76ers will get out of the second round of the playoffs? All right? Discuss you and Kinker or whoever else you have on your podcast. Maybe you got the guy that you had on last week who was playing with his fingers all the time. Whatever you got to do, let's discuss. White Marcus Hayes, Ford, out. Can I say first and foremost that Ford sounds exactly like what I expected Ford to sound like? In fact, it wasn't just me who felt like that because Craig, who's on the other side of the glass, said the exact same thing. He listened to it. He listened to about five seconds, and he goes, yep, that's what I thought Ford would sound exactly like. Is Ford here, by the way? Is Ford in the comments? There he is. Ford was really excited. I I should have given Ford a heads up. He was probably waiting to, like, flag some family and friends that his voice was going to be on Crossing Broadcast today. All right, so let's, let's address Ford's question, comment, concern about Joel Embiid. Yes, I think Joel Embiid will be back. I think he'll be back two weeks left in the season. And I think it's going to go about as poorly as you think it's going to go. I, I am deeply concerned about what the chances are of seeing a good, healthy Joel Embiid going into the playoffs is going to look like. I, I do not believe that he's going to be well-conditioned, and I don't expect him to be. There's no reason to assume that a guy who's been able to be on his feet, who's been able to maintain conditioning, which typically is one of the biggest hallmarks of a, of a Sixers playoff run, in the Joel Embiid era. Like, I don't see it. I could be wrong. I won't be, but like, maybe there's no chance that he's going to come back and look anything like the guy who was lighting the world on fire at the start of the season. There's just not, there's absolutely no chance of it happening. He's probably going to look like a guy who hasn't played basketball in months. Now, all that said, do I think they can get out of the second round in order to get out of the second round? You have to get out of the first round. And I do think that there are teams in the league that could give them a problem. All right. Like, Okay, play this one out with me, all right? 
The Milwaukee Bucks. Do I think that the Milwaukee Bucks are in a position that they could take down a Sixers team with a hobbled Joel Embiid in the first round? Yeah. The one thing that the Sixers have going for them if they face Milwaukee in the playoffs is that Doc Rivers is on the other bench. That legitimately is the only good thing that the Sixers would have going for them is that Doc vomits all over himself in the playoffs. Now, I have no idea. Again, let off the show saying Doc was already openly complaining and kind of laying the groundwork for why his team is going to underachieve in the playoffs this year. He's already doing it. But if, if all right, if you're the Sixers and you end up playing against uh, Milwaukee, I think that they have a chance. But Joel has to be like 80% of himself, Joel Embiid. It cannot be 50% Joel Embiid. It can't be a guy who's only able to give you 20 productive minutes. That will not work. You will not get out of a playoff series with Joel at, at that level. All right, so that's that's if you're in a 3-6 matchup. Let's say you take on Boston, right? Let's say you have Boston in the first round. You're screwed. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if Joel Embiid is at 100%. It doesn't matter if Joel Embiid is at 30%. You do not win that series. You have proven time and time again that you are unable to beat Boston. For whatever reason, Jalen uh, Brown and Jason Tatum are at another level when it comes to the postseason. For whatever reason, they have a spot in the Sixers' head. I don't see a way that a hobbled Joel Embiid leads the, the Sixers past the Celtics. I don't see it. Now, if you take on Cleveland, do I think that you can get by Cleveland? I do. So in a 2-7 matchup, if that's where that ends up being, I'm not worried about Cleveland. I have no problem. None at all. I think that Cleveland conceptually is like, they're, they're okay. They're not a team that drives me nuts. They're not a team that makes me stay up at night. I think if you were to get into a spot where you're in like a 4-5 matchup and you have to play Miami, I wouldn't like that for the Sixers. A lot of that obviously hinges on the health of Jimmy Butler. Um, but I, I don't see it. Now, the, the team that actually does scare me is the one that they're currently set up to play. If the season ended today and you were in a 4-5 matchup, you'd be playing in Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. Now, I get that the Knicks don't have a playoff pedigree, but they do have a killer on their team. They have Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson is a guy that I would 1,000% fear in a playoff series. Am I afraid of Julius Randle? No. Do I think that he could give the Sixers some fits on the inside in the minutes that Embiid's not on the floor? Yes. Do I think that ultimately all-star Tyrese Maxey can match all-star Jalen Brunson and make that a really competitive series and one that like we remember for a long time? Yeah, I do. I could see it. But I'm not so sure that by the time you get to that playoff matchup that Jalen Brunson's going to be the guy that he's been throughout the season. Like, there is the law of diminishing returns. And, and the way that New York has gotten to where they are in the standings is due, and let's not get this twisted, in very large part to what Jalen Brunson has been this season. And they've ridden him harder than just about any other player in the league. Okay, like... That That is a, an undisputed fact. He's playing 37 minutes a game, right? 36 minutes a game over the course of the season, but in the last 10, he's played over 37 minutes a game for the Knicks. If they're going to continue to use him at the rate that they've been using him, I don't know how they make it work. And I do think that there's a chance that he's going to burn out. And I see, look at that, Nico. Nico and I are on the same wavelength in the comments on YouTube. 
I think there's just a good chance that when you get there, Brunson will be burnout, and there aren't really that many guys on the Knicks that freak me out, that scare me. But again, I don't even look at it and say the Knicks or the Cavs are something I'm worried about, okay? They're just not. What I would be worried about is Milwaukee at full health and a hobbled Embiid or Boston. I don't think anybody in the East right now can beat Boston. That's where I'm at. So thank you to Ford for the call. But no, like I, I don't see them getting out of the second round. I'd be fearful of what the matchup is in the first round, and I'm not even sure that they'd get out of it. But we'll find out. And I'm going to listen. I think people know me well enough at this point. I love watching the Sixers. I want to see the Sixers win. But like there, there is the lack of playoff pedigree that is a legitimate concern. All right, let's get to the last team. And I saved them for last because I've talked about them a lot this weekend. And that's Philadelphia Flyers. The Flyers played a stadium series game against the New Jersey Devils on Saturday in a game that there were a lot of comped tickets. There were a lot of tickets given away to get people into MetLife Stadium to watch that game. And it wasn't a good showing for the Flyers at all. Now, there are some people who go out of their way to complain and say that that, was, that game was proof that Sam Erson is not a number one goalie because the Flyers conceded six goals on the, on the night. And that's nonsense. What you see a lot of times is goalies struggle with outdoor games because the ice is different, because the elements actually do have an impact on the quality of the ice. The sight lines are totally different. I think playing goalie in an outdoor game is probably the hardest thing that any positional player can do in any sports league, especially when you take the players out of what they're accustomed to in being indoors and taking them outdoors. Now, I've been waiting for this. I still don't know why this hasn't happened yet, but I've been waiting for the NBA to do an outdoor game, like a Rucker Park game. I don't know why it hasn't happened yet, but like I want that more than probably just about anything else that the NBA can put together. I want an outdoor game on blacktop, and I want to see how players perform. Would I like to eventually see a scenario where, like what you see in college basketball, where you're playing in an actual stadium, when you're playing like in a Cowboys stadium in the Final Four or for the national championship? Would I like to see that for the NBA? I don't know. I don't even know if they could fill up the arena. If it were the finals, maybe. But it would be interesting. But I say all of this because the sight lines are so important, and especially depth. Depth perception is really big if you're a basketball player. And if you're a hockey player and if you're a goalie, that depth perception of what you can see and the blind spots that you experience on the ice and the way that you're playing, um, you know, as the, the sun's going down. And I think a big reason why you saw this game getting played at night is because you're eliminating the likelihood of there being the sun glare. Now you're just kind of getting accustomed to the, to the lights up above, but there are games that they've played in, you know, daylight. Um, I think it's a really hard spot to be in. So I didn't look at that game and say, Sam Harrison's no longer your number one. I didn't go and say, like, they need to panic and, and go get a veteran goalie backup or a guy to come in and be the number one. So that's like, that to me is not even a conversation. I do think that what the, the big problem is is because it was a national telecast, because it was a nationally televised game. I think that people were genuinely concerned that this was like their Super Bowl, and they didn't have their Super Bowl, and they didn't get their big win. And if it's me, I once again sit back and I say, it was just a game. 
The spectacle might have been a big thing, but it didn't matter. It was just a game. Where it really mattered is in the standings because if you currently are living in this like world where the Philadelphia Flyers make the playoffs um, or you think that they have a chance to make the playoffs with the, um, with the trade deadline coming up in a couple of weeks, if, if you're looking at it from that perspective, then I say, like, yes, it was a bigger game. It wasn't just a regular, regular season game. Because right now in the Metropolitan Division, as we record this on Monday afternoon, the Flyers have 65 points in 56 games. The Devils have two games in hand. They've played 54 games, and they have 60 points. So you currently only have a five-point cushion, and they have two games in hand. So obviously, if you stopped playing and Jersey played their next two and they won both, they'd be within a point. Could you have made it harder on them by going out and picking up that win and put seven points of, of distance between yourselves and the Devils? Like, could that have really helped? Yes. I mean, it certainly could have. You have 26 games left in the season now. And, like, every point is going to matter if you're trying to make the playoffs. But I'm not convinced that the Flyers are trying to make the playoffs. Again, I am not convinced the Flyers are trying to make the playoffs. And I feel like we have to be very careful in like what the expectation is and what the reality is because the Flyers have a lot of weird things going on right now. Rasmus Ristolainen got hurt, okay? That's a legitimate problem because there were multiple teams interested in Rasmus Ristolainen. And I dare say that the Flyers were probably much more open to trading Rasmus Ristolainen than they were any of their other defensemen. And that includes Sean Walker. That includes Nick Sealer. So that kind of throws a big monkey wrench in this. If Ristolainen is out through the trade deadline, you're in a really bad spot because the team wants to re-sign Sean Walker. They've had those conversations. They've been impressed with what he's brought to that team. I don't know if I agree. Like at a $4 million cap hit, I'm not so sure that I like that. And I'm not sure that for the rebuild, what's supposed to be a rebuild, that signing Sean Walker to a $4-plus million-a-year deal is a great thing. But okay, like let's play it out. If they want to sign him to $4 million a year for, say, four or five years, you're putting yourself in a bad, bad, bad position in terms of the cap. Now, the cap's going to go up every year. We get that. But unless you are 1,000% saying, all right, we're going to re-sign Walker now or get a contract in place now, and then in the offseason, you're going to trade off Ristolainen. And you know for a fact Toronto wants him, which they've been interested in him a, a bunch of times. Or there's another team in the league, like a couple out west, that were interested in, in Rasmus Ristolainen. Then you say, all right, if we know we can move him for sure, then you can execute this deal for Walker. But like I keep coming back to, you're in a rebuild. You need to trade off pieces that actually matter and guys that can get you actual assets back in a rebuild. Sean Walker has proven to be one of those guys. Philly fan says here, sell Walker, bring up Emil Andre. Um, that's good for a rebuild. It still may be good enough to make the playoffs. I don't know if Andre's the guy who ends up getting the play when he comes up. I'm not sure that they wouldn't look at Ronnie Adderd. I'm also not entirely sure that they wouldn't just kind of let it play out with Mark Stahl. I mean, they brought in Mark Stahl specifically to be a guy that they could trade at the deadline. They wanted his veteran leadership for early in the season as part of a rebuild. And then they definitely thought he was going to play well enough that they'd be able to sell him off at the deadline. But he has not played well. He also hasn't gotten any consistent play, but he has not looked very good at all. If you're a team that wants to have Mark Stahl because you think Mark Stahl is still 
valuable in the locker room and as valuable as like your seventh defenseman going into the playoffs, then like his his solid player lack thereof isn't going to fundamentally change based on what you've seen with him this year with the Flyers. But he's also not going to get you a high draft pick. Is it worth trading him for a for like a, a later round pick? Like maybe it could be mid round pick. Maybe could be. But Risto's injury throws a really big wrench into all of this. I still am very much in the camp of it's a rebuild, sell off the pieces, and if you want to bring a guy back, then bring him back. But that means Sean Walker should go. That means if if there's a legitimate offer out there of any value for Nick Sealer, you have to consider it. The one thing that Sealer has going for him is that he's on a very, very, very low cap hit. They like what he brings to the lineup, and they like the intangibles, the, the immeasurable things. And there's another point, and Philly fan brings this one up, uh, not the second part of it, but the first part is a good point, trade Lawton. There are multiple teams that have been interested in Sean Law- in, uh, in Scott Lawton. And I, it's not a, I will argue this, it's not a coincidence that the Flyers decided to name a captain after the coach has said for over a year that they had no intention of naming a captain. They did that because the offers that they've gotten or the conversations they've had around Scott Lawton have been good enough that you can't go without a guy with any letter on his sweater. And so I think that they were kind of hedging a little bit. They wanted to see that Sean Couturier could be healthy. They wanted to see that Sean Couturier would look like a selkie caliber guy. Again, I don't know if he's really there right now. Like, I wouldn't say that he'd end up as a finalist this year. But, like, has he been a good 200-foot center both ways this year? I would say he's been good. He obviously gets better as the game goes on. We've talked about that a bunch over on Snow the Goalie. But, like, when you have a back injury, you're a hockey player. Bundy's talked about this. It takes a while for you to to loosen up, and then you start to look more like yourself. But a lot of times, if you watch Coots, especially early in games, he kind of looks like he's got a piano on his back. He's stiff. Can't blame him. He's had multiple back surgeries. That's a significant issue. I think that they wanted to see that Couturier could be healthy, and I think that they wanted to see that his play would would return to a level where he's not a fourth-line guy. I don't know if that was really a concern, that his play was going to drop off that much, but it's multiple back surgeries. So once they got that little bit of data, once they got that feeling back, then it made sense that they would go, all right, we're going to put the C on him because I think that's always been where this was heading. I didn't expect them to like panic and put it on him when they dealt Claude Giroux, but I definitely think that like there's something to be said for the fact that, you know what, this is the guy that they've kind of always wanted to be the captain or that they thought should be. The guy that maybe would be a little bit surprising here is that, like, Travis Konechny got the A on his sweater. That's not surprising if you paid attention to the team. If you're, like, if you are somebody who, like, occasionally checks in on the Flyers or almost never, but, like, you see the clips on Twitter of him when he's mic'd up and calling Evgeny Malkin uh, in the Stadium Series game a few years ago a fucking nerd. Like, if you're used to those kind of clips, you'd be like, I don't know, is that guy, like, is he a leadership guy? They've been really impressed by him. They've been really impressed by his maturity. And I saw, like, there, there's been, like, a little bit of discourse online about did becoming a dad, like, help him to mature? And I think, like, if you're listening to the show, you're watching the show, if you become a parent, there is something to that. There, Well, I guess I should be careful. I'd say, like, if you're a good parent, if you're, like, a present parent, it does something for you. If you're a deadbeat, it probably doesn't. But those of you who are listening to the show and watching the show, you're not deadbeats. But that's, like, a legitimate thing. I think that that probably has helped the maturity process. Philly fan here says, uh, why don't the Flyers move Ellis's contract to LTIR and take on a big contract for assets? Not Campbell per se. He has four years left. You can have uh, Peterson for the same money for one more, but use the cap space. They're not going to. 
They're they're not going to. They might move Ellis to LTIR to facilitate a deal, but it's not going to be to bring back a piece to help fortify things in the playoffs. I thought about it a little bit. I was like, if there's one position that you're willing to maybe take on some money on a short-term deal, it's probably a backup goalie. If you don't believe that Cal Peterson can be that guy going into the playoffs, and again, I'm not sure that he's that guy. I don't think that Cal's the backup goalie on a legitimate playoff team. Is he on this like hybrid fusion? Are we a playoff team or are we a seller at the deadline? Well, he might be. I still think that ultimately they are going to bring in uh, Kolosov from Russia. And I think you're going to see Kolosov get some starts before the end of the season. That's where I expect this to go. If the wheels fall off this thing, and we've talked about this a lot, if the wheels fall off at the end of the season, um, as they play a lot of divisional games and they play a lot of playoff-bound teams, then I think you're going to see even more of Kolosov. He's not going to usurp Urson as the number one, but I think he will get more play because they're going to want to see what they have out of him. Keith Jones was on Press Row Show two weeks ago, and he mentioned that you know they have a lot of positional depth at goalie throughout the organization, and that um, that includes a bunch of Russian goalies. And he said, and it was interesting, he said a lot of those guys or some of those guys could be here sooner rather than later. And that's interesting. So I think Kolosov is actually going to be over here before the end of the season, and we'll see. But I, I think that they're in a weird spot, and ultimately I'm still on team rebuild. I'm still on team gather the assets. Not because I think that the, the picks are especially valuable for this year, but because those assets combined with some other things can go out and get you a guy that you want to help fortify your team. You don't have to make every pick, but having those picks and being able to use them to put together a more enticing package for a player that you think fits your timeline, that's where it's interesting. I think they're going to do themselves a disservice, though. If we get to the other side of the trade deadline and we get kind of like a Chuck Fletcher level, um, no movement of any kind, and we sit back and we say, mm, they didn't really do much of anything at the deadline. That's a problem. Like That actually is organizational malpractice. So this can't be another one of those, you know, Chuck last year when he got excoriated and the, and the season ticket holders booed him at the event. Kosey was like, oh, hold on, everybody. Um, you can't like sit and say, hey, we made a lot of calls and teams didn't answer, or it's hard to make a trade, or the uh, what the hell did Chuck talk about last year? It was like the, the app, the app that he was proud of the analytics department for putting together that like assessed the trade value like it was playing, um, you know, like Chell. I don't know. I, I cannot imagine that they're going to go through this deadline without any moves. But like, again, Risto's injury threw a really big monkey wrench in this. Again, I think that they wanted to deal Risto and re-sign Walker. And now they're in this position where it's like, if he's not healthy and they can't trade Risto, they're going to say, if we want to make the playoffs, we need Walker. If they don't care, or if they say the playoffs are not our number one priority, then they'll move off of Walker. But we'll see. I still think that ultimately you have to put yourself in position for the long term. It can't just be getting transfixed by this idea of the playoffs. And we'll see. What could be interesting is if, like, New Jersey, for example, were to make a deal for a goalie or for a better goalie to upgrade that position, I think you'd then see them jump the flyers. And we've talked about this a few times on Snow the Goalie, but, like, the way that things are kind of shaking out, it looks like the wild cards are going to come from the Atlantic division. So if you're the flyers, you've got to, you have to be in the top three. Falling to fourth in the division isn't going to be good enough. 
likely. That's at least the thought right now. So we'll see. They, I mean, the Atlantic right now, Florida, killers. Boston, I would still say killers. Toronto, horrible in the playoffs, great regular season team. They will make the playoffs. The Lightning, not as good as they've been in the past. Still a very good team with playoff pedigree. The Red Wings have been really solid. We'll see. We'll see where it lands. Anyway, big thank you to everybody who tuned in to today's show. Thursday. Thursday's going to be an interesting one. Now, last Thursday, we had Tony Bruno on the show early. And then uh, Trevor Harris popped on for the second half of the show. Kincaid, I think, is working out whoever's going to be the guest on Thursday's show. So make sure, if you haven't done so already, that you subscribe on YouTube to Crossing Broad. Make sure that you subscribe or you follow and like the page on Facebook. You follow Crossing Broad on Twitter. And then do us a big favor. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, subscribe to the show. Make sure you give it a like. If you're on Spotify, leave the rating. Leave five stars on that app. If you're in Apple Podcasts, we love the rating. The five-star rating is great, and we love it, and we appreciate it. But if you are willing to, leave a review. Write out a review. And I'll even tell Kinker that if you write a review for Crossing Broadcast, you leave five stars, we'll read it on the show at the end of the show. That's my promise to you. A big thank you to all of you who tuned in here live on YouTube, on Twitter, and on Facebook. Next week, take your calls again. Take your messages, 215-839-8477. So for myself, for Kinker, who we'll see on Thursday, for Craig on the other side of the glass, for Ford, who left us a call, I'm Russ. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening, maybe even watching Crossing Broadcast here on a beautiful Monday. Happy President's Day. We didn't get to the other thing that I wanted to. I totally forgot. Your favorite president. You're going to have to let me know on Twitter, at Joy on Broad. I said I wanted to know who some people's favorite presidents were, but it can't be a current president. It can't be a president from your lifetime. It can't be Washington, Jefferson, or Lincoln. Craig, do you have a favorite president before we roll out? He's shaking his head no behind the, behind the scenes. There was somebody on Twitter who said Calvin Coolidge, but then didn't give me a reason, and I was really confused. I wanted to know why Calvin Coolidge was his favorite president, and then that got me thinking. Ford, Ford doesn't like my rules. I'm sorry, Ford. I don't want to – like, I'm not starting a political thing on the show. We all know that Kinker gets very upset whenever there's anything about anything. And he's like, oh, we don't – we don't talk politics here on Crossing Broad. We don't endorse a candidate. So I don't need people like saying, I love Trump. And then we get other people saying, I love Biden. And then we get other people who are like, I did not have enough relations. We don't need that. So it can't be anybody from your lifetime. It can't be Washington, Jefferson, or Lincoln. Think about it. Tweet at me on Joy on Broad. Let me know. Buchanan, I think, is like a very easy answer if you live in Pennsylvania. He wasn't a particularly good president, but he's the only president to ever come from, from uh, Pennsylvania. Throwing it out there. James Buchanan. Here's your last thing. Oh, Kevin says Teddy Roosevelt. Speak softly, carry a big stick. Okay. Teddy Roosevelt. Can I give you – I'm going to give you one good piece of uh, election trivia. Craig, I want to see if you know. Who's the only president in U.S. history to be president, to lose the presidency in re-election, and then gain it back? It's never, it's only happened once, okay? Again, we're not starting a big political diatribe. Trump, in theory, could, could match this guy. He'd be the second guy ever to do it. One U.S. president in history who has been president, ran again, lost, ran a third time, and won. So split terms. 
Craig, do you know it? He brought up Joe Papel was correct. Grover Cleveland, the only president to serve split terms in the history of these United States of America. That's it. Pretty wild stuff. It can happen again, in theory. In theory, it could happen again. I'd actually feel bad for Grover Cleveland. I have no idea what Grover Cleveland did uh, policy-wise. I don't know if he was a good president or not, but that is a valuable bit of trivia. And what I would encourage everyone to do is go out, go on to YouTube, find the old video of the Animaniacs doing the president's song. That was my jam in high school, freshman year, sophomore year, freshman year of high school. um, We had... I had this teacher who I think, I think he got fired for uh, inappropriate relations with a student. Allegedly, we won't say his name, but he put at the end of his test, uh, write as many of the presidents that you can in order. And so I did them all because of the Animaniacs song. And he, was, he wanted me to prove that I knew them. So I sang the song for him and I got a point for each president. So I think I had like, what, 43 points at that point? 43 bonus points. So that was great. Anyway, everybody have a great weekend. Great weekend coming up at the end of the week. But have a great week until Thursday when it's me and it's Kinker and it's whoever else, whoever Kinker gets as a guest. Big thank you to everybody who tuned in. And for the like fourth time, I'm going to try to sign off. Everybody have a great day. Thanks for watching, listening to Crossing Broadcast. We'll talk to you on Thursday.